Island Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare Playground presents Tales from the Vomitory. 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. At Island Shakespeare Festival, our mission is to provide accessible classical theater realized for a contemporary audience. Tales from the Vomitorium is presented with special permission from Scott Kaiser and is made possible in part by support from our sponsors, the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, and Whitby Telecom. Learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. Music and Dance by Scott Kaiser Read by Candace Handy By the end of the third day of rehearsal, the music director and the choreographer were already at each other's throats. Play faster! The tempos are dragging! Trish shouted at Benjamin, who was at the piano. Stop shouting! I can't play with you yelling at me! Benjamin fired back at Trish, who was working with the dancers. And on it went, day after day, at the New Harmony Playhouse in New Harmony, Wisconsin. The play was a new musical version of Much Ado About Nothing called Much Ado. The director, a slight and quiet man named Lenny, was often caught in the middle with no capacity whatsoever to prevent their nonstop bickering. He's the worst accompanist ever, Trish complained to Lenny. Tell her to stop pushing my tempos. I can't play that fast. Ben carped at Lenny. You should fire that man. He's completely incompetent. Trish groused at Lenny. You should give that woman the axe. She's a terror. Ben grumbled at Lenny. Lenny did his level best to remain calm and carry on. On opening night, Benjamin bought Trish a beautiful bouquet of flowers. These are for you, Trish, to say how much I appreciate you, said Ben. Trish gave Ben a bottle of expensive scotch whiskey. This is for you, Ben, to say how much I enjoyed working with you, (laughs) said Trish. As the opening night celebrations grew more and more boisterous, Ben and Trish opened the bottle of whiskey together, and they both had a little bit too much to drink. They ended up in bed together that night. A year later... Benjamin and Trish were married. I really relate to this story as most theater artists probably can. Um, We spend so much time together to put a show together that a lot of times people can't help but find, you know, these romantic connections with each other. And sometimes it's the people that that you think you hate who you end up uh, connecting with 
the most because at the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to do a good show, affect the audience, um, and put something quality on stage. So, you know, no, no matter what happens during the rehearsal process, opening night is always really exciting for everybody. You know, things happen that you don't expect to happen. Um, I specifically can relate to this story because it made me think about uh, one of the first plays I was in. Um, actually, it was the first play I was in, West Side Story. I went to a historically black college and university, the Alabama State University. So we did West Side Story as uh, Haitians versus black Americans because we were all black. Um, and, you know, we did a little bit of the songs became like R&B songs. Um, but anyway, I was a Jet girlfriend and this guy that was on the... Uh, the shark side, the Haitian side, he comes up to me because we're, we're picking dance partners or something. We're learning some choreography or something. And he comes up to me and he grabs me and I literally go like, ew, because I find him not attractive at all. And he's like, well, forget you or whatever. He probably didn't say those words, um, but it was something along those lines. And then the next thing I knew, I was dating him for like... Two years. Uh, so, yeah, it happens. Whitby Telecom. Connecting our community. We exist to make internet, phone, security, and entertainment technology simple and worry-free so our customers can live better, happier lives. So, live the life. We'll connect it. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 Short Stories by Scott Kaiser. Today, Scott is here to talk about music and dance. Hi, Alina. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, music and dance is um, based on Much Ado About Nothing, one of my favorite, favorite plays. Uh, and I am so excited to talk to you about this play and this beautiful story that so succinctly encapsulates the the themes of you know trying to overcompensate for the love that you feel developing for someone um what can you tell me about the inspiration for this story uh well th th this did actually uh, um occur in in some form um i was um i was working on a musical in uh, in new hampshire uh, when i was uh, much younger and um uh, the musical was showboat and it was in a um a theater um with a, a very very shoestring cast and they, we were doing this enormous musical uh, so we were all under a, a great stress um i was directing it and uh, my choreographer and my music director were literally at each other's throats so um, I am the Lenny in the story. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm willing to admit that, that I was the slight and quiet man named Lenny. That's, that's me. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, fought, uh, they fought bitterly throughout the process uh, and just, just would scream at each other in front of the actors. And uh, I would often have to pull them aside and try to calm them down and, and uh, con 
conference with them before and after rehearsals to try to get them to behave. It was really a, a misery um, how much they despised one another. Um, and um, the odd thing is that uh, that t- when the show opened, as in the story, um, they did, in in fact, uh, uh, come together. Um, they uh, um, they did, in fact, uh, um, have a, a night together where they slept together after the show, and uh, um, and ended up having a fairly long term relationship uh, as a result of uh, of their collaboration, uh, which always you know struck me as uh, you know. Uh, strange and common, as you said, that uh, they were channeling their uh, attraction uh, rather unhealthily into into this conflict that they were um, in the midst of throughout rehearsal. I, I don't know if that relationship survived, to be honest, but uh, I do know that they did come together, and uh, no one was more surprised than I um, to learn that, in fact, this was all about sexual attraction and not about uh, um, uh, them genuinely despising one another. The cast didn't get together and, like, tease them both into into realizing they loved one another. No, I, I don't think uh, I don't think anybody knew. I think everybody was uh, was just dying to open because it was such a miserable process. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, because when you have the music director and the and the choreographer uh, going after one another, uh, you know, it, it's very unpleasant in rehearsal. Um, and uh, so I, I think I don't think anybody really saw through any of this. Uh, mm. I think it was uh, I think for the, for the most part, um, myself included, we were just dying to get a thing open so we wouldn't have to listen to it anymore. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. I mean, well, yeah, Showboat in particular. I mean, there are so many songs in that. I mean, there's so many musical numbers. It was just nonstop. Yeah. Um, what what have been your favorite moments working on this? Working on uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, it's a it's it's a wonderful play. Um, I um, you know my experience with the show as as an actor was playing Claudio. Um, which was not a good experience because uh, Claudio is a is a really really challenging role. Um, there's not a lot of um, not a lot of material there to help you redeem him in the eyes of the audience. He's he starts out as a jerk and he and, and a callow young man, and he for the most part um, ends the play as a callow young man. He doesn't learn a lot. Um, most people feel that Claudio doesn't deserve a hero, um, and of course. Um, I did my best as an actor to deserve her. I don't think even when I played it, I deserved her. Um, I've always had real issues with uh, with Much Ado ever since um, with uh, with the way that play ends and how um, you know how how a hero is objectified. We've talked about this before. Um, how you know how she is uh, treated as a prize and as a possession and, and shuttled back and forth between men and how the the you know, the solution is to pretend that she's dead and, and, you know, pretend that we've buried her and, um, and then, Oh, well, we have a sister who's just like her and, you know, um, but you have to marry her before you see her. Um, the objectification of hero is, is very distressing to me. Um, uh, of course the Beatrice Benedict relationship is wonderful and um, one of the best, you know, love relationships in the canon, no question, with some of the best arcs and the, some of the best, you know, characterizations that Shakespeare wrote in a comedy. 
Um, so you can't throw out the play. You just, you can't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really important to, I think, to look at the play with wide open eyes and remember that there are some real issues there. No one calls much of a problem play, but it's definitely on my list of problem plays for that reason. And as you know, we've talked about my trying to rewrite the ending or the entire second act of this play to try to solve that problem. Yeah. Can you uh, share with listeners any any of your ideas about how and go into a little bit more detail about what needs to be solved and and where and how you might kind of investigate that? Oh, I without just giving, don't. I was going to say without giving too much away. <laughs> uh, I just uh, feel that from the wedding on um, that, uh, that's the moment where heroes, uh, uh, you know, uh, objectification is, is most severe. And from the wedding on what I would like to try to write and what I would like to see happen is for the women to unravel the, uh, the play from that point on rather than the, the, uh, the priest coming up with the, let's bury her and say she's dead, um, and the the duel, you know, uh, kill Claudio because uh, because Beatrice is is helpless as a woman, and so has to enlist Benedict's help to to kill Claudio, as if that's going to solve anything. Um, for me, you're you're looking at really intelligent women. Uh, uh, Beatrice has the intelligence to unravel this and solve this with the help of the other women in the play. I would really love to see this rewritten and. Um, uh, and continue to try to think about ways to rewrite this so that from the wedding on, um, the the uh, priest's advice is tossed aside and Beatrice takes over and finds a way to solve the problem without objectifying Hero. Does Claudio win in the end? Um, I... that that is one of the reasons why it's very challenging to rewrite the ending because you have to grapple with problems like does claudio deserve her and um has he learned anything and if if you are going to have claudio end up with hero as a wife then he's going to have to redeem himself in some way um in shakespeare's play he goes to her grave and he sings a song um uh as as penance I, i don't think that's enough um, and so, uh, I would love to devise as I think about it, something that Claudio does to redeem himself and, uh, mature himself to the point where he actually deserves, um, uh, hero. Um, and, uh, that, that's one of the problems to be solved without question. Yeah. That, that question of deserving is bringing to mind love's labor's lost as well. And this, like, how, how do how how can these characters prove their love and you know juliet asks the same thing of romeo you know how how do i know that you're serious um and i don't know that i don't know that shakespeare ever like really fully answers that for us well one of the things i love about love's labor is lost is the ending where you know they try to prove their their worth and their sexual prowess and their intelligence and their their um their poetic abilities but uh in the end it's it's very clear that they've been going about it all wrong and and shakespeare ends the play before they've really earned the the love and respect of of those uh four women um I, that's a good ending in my mind they they haven't uh they haven't earned it and they know it 
Um, uh, and as you know, I've written a play called Love's Labors One, where they come back having, um, you know, attempted to earn the respect and love of those women um, and, and the what happens next. Um, and that, that is one of the things I love about that play um, uh, is that it doesn't end, you know, with a pat sort of sitcom uh, tied up in a bow uh, uh, resolution. Um, and uh, I, I think that's uh, that's a good way to end that play. Right. And well, maybe that's maybe that's something to investigate for uh, a rewrite of Much Ado um, is d- do we need to answer that for Hero or is that? Or does the audience then become the one to make that choice for themselves if they feel, you know, if they feel that by the end he the dessert is there or is it not? No, I like that idea. I mean, I'm not sure I would go so far as to, uh, you know, take a, you know, take a ballot. <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> uh, that, that is a, that's a, I've had, uh, I've had bosses who would love that idea. And, you know, before we end the play, right, uh, press a button in front of you, right? Um, oh, gets the girl is the, is the green button. Claudio doesn't get the girl is the red button. Okay. You know, pre- <laughs> <laughs> I meant more philosophically than, than they leave the theater and they discuss it over dinner <laughs> no i know what you meant uh, i'm just being being silly um but you're right i mean that that is a you know um that is a, a issue that you could leave up to the audience to decide um you know does uh does he deserve her um and you know you see that in measure for measure right um the duke says right. you know i have an idea if you'll listen to it where what is mine is yours and what is yours is mine the duke talks to isabella about that and that that's how the play ends you know and if you're isabella you're sitting there thinking uh, are you crazy? What you just put me through, right. <laughs> which is, I would think what hero um, is thinking at the end of much ado about nothing. You know, why would I want this guy um, after what he put me through? Um, he's shown that he's, he's not, he doesn't really understand what a, a mature relationship is about. Um, so um, now of course we bring our modern sensibilities to these plays, you know, um, um, but uh you know, uh, I don't, I don't see any other way to to bring ourselves to these plays other than where we are now, um, culturally. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's why that's why we still do them, <laughs> is because with with every generation and every new cultural circumstance, there's something new to to investigate here. You know, and well, I well, and I think that's exactly that's exactly the case with much ado about nothing and and with hero that was a huge challenge when we um we produced it in uh 2013 i think and um i remember through the rehearsal process that was we we struggled with that every day like oh man this just this feels so uh, not not good not comfy to to the modern cast you know and we had a female, we had a woman playing, um, playing the priest. Uh, she was Antonia instead of Antonio. And um, that helped kind of, but, it, but in the end, you know, because at least it was from, uh, it was a woman having the idea of this is the solution. And so having the women buy into that was like a little different, but still it's the end is still the end and it's, 
funky. <laughs> yeah, it still it still makes me queasy. It does. Um, it's a hard play for me to watch. And as I said, it, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable comedy, but the, uh, that, that part of it st- still makes me queasy. Um, and as I said, uh, where we started this conversation, uh, it's from the very get go when I played uh, Claudio in my mid twenties that I, I, I began to feel it right away that, uh, that the, the fact that Claudio, uh, still gets the girl, just never felt right. Yeah. Well, I hope that that is something that we can solve someday. <laughs> I'll keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned, ISF fans. <laughs> um, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this, Scott. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Alina. I look forward to talking to you next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. Sound design and composition by Orion Schwalm. This episode was sponsored in part by the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, Whidbey Telecom, and by our listeners. Support us and learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. <laughs>